Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This week's episode features two chilling tales of unknown and dangerous entities that lurk nearby and set their hungry gaze upon their prey. This first story follows a man who thought he was having an ordinary night until he realizes that there is someone inside his home watching him. To make things worse, the person watching him is himself, or rather his own reflection. Written by Reddit user One of Those Strangers, here is I Saw Something in My Bathroom Mirror This Evening. I can't say I have ever been one for looking in the mirror. Sure, when I get ready in the morning I take a glance, but that's about as far as it goes. But tonight, I stepped out of the shower, and there it was. Something strange. Something different. The room was thick with steam. I could barely make out the shapes of the sink and the cabinet, but there, in the misted glass of the mirror, I stepped forward and wiped away some of the condensation with my hand, peering through the fog and looking at the reflection. It was off. Something about it felt off, like there was something in the room with me. I stood there for a little while staring into the mirror, and the more I looked at my reflection, the more I knew something was very wrong with it. I blinked and shook my head, but I couldn't shake the feeling. Sure, he moved as I moved, his face contorting in the same ugly way as mine, and yeah, he frowned along with me, his eyes darting around exactly the same. But it wasn't me. It was not me. I took a step closer and tried to get a better look, and he stepped closer with me. Who are you? We whispered together, voices barely audible. I don't know, we replied, uncertain, low, and hollow. What do you want? A good question, I thought, but we had nothing more to say. He just stared back at me with a blank expression. Instinctually, I knew I should leave, but I was mesmerized by his presence. I wanted to talk more, too, but I found that no sound would come out anymore. And then finally, he spoke for me. Hello, Charles, he said, his voice uncanny, a perfect imitation of mine. I was unable to reply, almost like he had taken my voice, so I just kept watching. Do you know who I am? He asked me all polite. 
I shook my head. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't afraid of the damn thing. Then he flashed me a smile that made my skin crawl. I am you. And I have decided that it's time for you to go. Time for me to go? What the hell? I thought to myself. Go where? I tried to brush it off, to calm myself down, but my heart was undeniably pounding away in my chest and he seemed to be getting closer to me. I tried to turn away, but even my body was not listening to me anymore. And he laughed at me, laughed at my predicament. It was a gravelly, sinister racket. Like I said, I've decided, so it's time you went. And with that, he stepped out of the mirror, into the real world, right in front of me. He took me by the arm and pulled me along the wet, tiled floor into the hallway. I wanted to fight, but I was completely unable to move. And he was strong anyway, much stronger than me. He dragged me along the hallway, my heels burning from the friction. And next thing I knew, he was taking me through the apartment door, onto the concrete walkway outside. My feet were bloody now. And in my mind, I was yelling. But to the rest of the world, I would have been dead silent, save for the sound of my ankles dragging along the coarse pavement. Before I knew it, I was in the middle of a highway, in nothing but my bathrobe, arm still in his grasp. Ribbons of light were passing us by, but none of the damn cars stopped to check what was going on. He then turned to me, his face illuminated by the street lamps, shadows softly strobing from the passing beams. He looked me dead in the eyes one last time and said, all matter-of-fact-like, It's time for you to go, Charles. And then... He just released his grip and stepped back, fading into the night. I damn near fell into the highway, stumbling. I somehow caught myself. My legs were weak and uncoordinated, but I had my control again. And the man, well, he had vanished. Alone. I stood in fear. What the hell just happened? What did he mean? And what the hell was he? I tried to collect myself, clearing my mind of the cloud of confusion and all of the questions. I had to get back to my apartment. Certainly I couldn't stay here in the middle of the damn highway. So I made my way across the traffic and began to journey back home, bathrobe fluttering behind me in the cold night air.
Every now and then I would hear a sound or catch a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye that would make me turn. And every time I turned, I figured I would see the guy standing there or something. Maybe he would be watching, staring at me all expressionless. Or maybe he'd be grinning and laughing with that awful laugh of his. But he was nowhere. The bastard was gone. Shivering, barefoot, and bleeding, somehow I made it back to my apartment. At first I was too scared to go inside. What if he was still there? But I didn't have any other option. The door was still ajar, and I nudged it all the way open to find it empty. So I went inside and slammed the door behind me. I wrapped myself in the first blanket I could find, and while I was warming myself on the couch, I tried to rationalize what had just happened. I couldn't, though. The man in the mirror had not been a figment of my imagination. I knew that for sure. He was very real. He had been there with me, and the thought was terrifying. And then I remembered what he said. It's time for you to go. I rushed back into the bathroom. It was still thick with steam in there, so I had to wipe away the condensation from the glass. Then I peered through the fog into the mirror. But it was only my reflection, my eyes, and my face. From day one, the mission statement of this channel, podcast, show, whatever you want to call it, has been to try to, quote, be the reason you're afraid to use the bathroom at night. I feel like a story about your reflection coming to life, crawling out of your bathroom mirror and trying to kill you, um, it, it fits that mission greatly. Speaking of deadly things lurking in the night, let's move on to our second story. This one follows a volunteer at a wolf sanctuary who is shown a grisly scene of an attack upon one of the wolves. It's not long until they realize whatever attacked that wolf is still out there, much too close for comfort. Written by Reddit user Lucas Fields, I present Something Has Scared the Wolves. I work as a volunteer in a wolf sanctuary up in the Pacific Northwest. It's a fairly small establishment, and a fairly young one too. We started during the 2010s and we kept going as a small but determined group of people. We take things seriously, and we live by our desire to help these majestic beasts. The sanctuary stands on a pretty remote spot, completely surrounded by forest. 
We like the thought of keeping our animals as close as possible to their habitat, and this position also lets us keep track, fairly easily, of the wolves we set free after the rescue. It isn't an easy life by any means, but we've managed to adjust to it, some more than others. For me, these forests really feel like home. And once we got our cabin up and running with electricity and internet, I stopped caring about my life in the nearby town. I had all I wanted, right there, among the trees. However, for the sake of everyone's mental well-being, we take turns to stay in there. No more than two weeks, no less than two people. The woods can really strain your mind, and that's not optimal when your daily routine revolves around caring for wild animals that can easily weigh more than a hundred pounds and could potentially tear you into shreds in mere seconds. This time, it was me and Oliver's turn. It was a pretty chill time. Oliver is amazing at his job. The weather was nice, despite the low temperatures, and our residents were absolutely lovely. By residents, I mean our four wonderful specimens of northwestern gray wolves, rescued as pups and raised by us in captivity. Four wonderful females, Artemis, Tia, Ice, and Dawn. They are a considerable amount of work, but it really is worth it. So, as I was saying, things were going pretty smooth. Then, yesterday morning, one of the GPS devices we used to track rescued wolves sent out a signal. Nothing really out of the ordinary. This signal in particular lets us know that the device has not moved at all in the last 24 hours. It could mean that the animal is hurt, but most times it simply means that the device had somehow become detached from the collar of the wolf and needs to be recovered. So Oliver decided to go and check it out. The day went on as usual, until early afternoon. Oliver contacted me via radio stating he was rushing back to the camp. I could hear his voice being a little different, less composed and calm than usual. About 20 minutes later, he rolled into the front of the sanctuary with our pickup. Man, you gotta take a look at this, he said, getting off the vehicle in a hurry. As I approached the back of the pickup where Oliver was standing, I could immediately feel the pungent smell of rotting flesh. Oliver said nothing. He just stared down, eventually covering his nose. On the back of the pickup truck laid the corpse of a wolf we rescued months back. His beautiful black fur ruffled his eyes and mouth wide open, with three huge slashes on the side of his body. Those are way too big, I remember thinking instinctively 
we tried to assess the situation with Oliver back in the hut. He decided to drive back to town before sundown so he could give the carcass to the local vet in the hope of getting some answers. He proposed to ask someone to come over and cover for him for the night, but I assured him I would be just fine. He left shortly after, leaving me alone with the wolves who were wandering around their pen, probably alerted by the strong smell of death still faintly present in the air. I finished my tasks for the day, prepared some canned soup for dinner, and ate it straight out of the can while trying to wrap my head around the wounds on that wolf. I had never seen anything like it, and a quick check in the sanctuary's archive revealed that something like that had just never happened before. It was common to find dead wolves, but it was way less common to find a massacred one. Just as I was skimming through all the reports, I realized that one of the wolves was loudly growling outside. A weird behavior, for sure. I looked out the window. It was Artemis. On the far side of the pen, right at the fence, she was growling at the dark tree line just ahead. I found it extremely weird for her to do such a thing. I grabbed my flashlight and headed outside. I could see my breath, and I realized that the evening air had gotten slightly colder than usual. I made my way to the fence, opened the gate, and squeezed myself in. Tia, Ice, and Dawn came out of their enclosures and quickly made their way around to me. Now this was not unusual, per se, but the way they kept their posture low, they were clearly alarmed by something. I called for Artemis, to no avail. She just kept on growling, at seemingly nothing. In the air, the same rotting smell was still present, if not even stronger than before. This couldn't have been possible. The whole situation gave me a gut feeling like no other. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was feeling exposed. Part of me wanted to get the wolves and crawl back into the hut with them, clearly not the brightest train of thought. I slowly made my way to Artemis. When I placed my hand on her back, she stopped growling and started softly whimpering, briefly looking at me before staring back into the darkness. She seemed relieved. I flashed my light in the dark. Nothing but trees. No movement. Nothing at all. The wolves did not cut back on their alerted state, though. They were scared by something. I began taking them back to the enclosures and locking them up. As I was closing Tia's door, Dawn started to growl too, immediately followed by Ice from inside her enclosure. 
My unease began to spiral out of control, so I hurried the whole process. Once the doors were locked, I started walking back to the hut. But then, I realized how silent the whole place had become. Dead silence, all around. Then, a faint shuffling. Some twigs breaking. My heart sank. It came right from where Artemis was growling at. I stood there, like a deer in the headlight, pondering my options. I decided to go check once again, just to be sure, before going back to the hut as fast as possible, closing the door, closing all the shutters, and just trying to get some sleep. I walked slowly, flashlight in my right hand, pointing the beam left and right. Then, I saw them. Two eyes in the darkness, shining back at me. Two amber dots, about a foot from the ground. Were they the eyes of a wolf? As I kept staring at them, wondering what was going on, something impossible happened. Without breaking eye contact, the dots started lifting up, and up, and up. When they stopped, they stood among the pine needles, about ten feet high, before vanishing. I kept hearing twigs breaking before silence fell back around me. That was it. I darted back to the hut, closing every damn shutter and bolting the doors. I stood there in complete darkness and in complete silence. I hardly got any sleep at all that night. As I write this, the sun is way up in the sky, but I still can't shake the dreadful feeling those eyes casted upon me. The wolves seem to be fine and Oliver should be returning later today. This forest felt like my home, but today I don't feel so sure about that anymore. Yeah, I understand loving animals and wanting to protect them, I do, but if this is a volunteer job where I'm not even getting paid, sorry Artemis, you and your pack are on your own. Thank you again to the authors of these amazing stories. Links to connect with them and see more of their work can be found in the show notes. Until next week, dear listener, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.